Thanks for tuning into Grado 2. I'm your host, Mel Allen, and over the next several minutes, I'll be introducing you to episode two of the Grado 2 podcast. It's a podcast for Vermonters, Vermont lovers, and the Vermont curious. And we'll talk about the people, the food, the music, beer, and basically everything that makes things great in the 802. Right now, we are listening to Breakaway, a bluegrass band from Vermont, and this is Packy Sandra from the album Unpaved Road. We'll hear more again from them soon, and be sure to check the show notes for details on today's music and guests. In just a moment, we'll hear from a man who founded Vermont Energy Control Systems, an open-source project automating homes and businesses with off-the-shelf controls put together in some pretty amazing ways. He actually helped plant the seed for this podcast as well. When I met him a few years ago, we talked far too long about what he does, how he does it, and I couldn't help but immediately want to share his story. I also hope to get a unique user of his controls that we'll talk about during the interview on an upcoming episode. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Vermont Energy Control Systems. Bill, tell me about VEX. Tell me how actually you got started, and that's V-E-C-S dot O-R-G. Yes, as in Vermont Energy Control Systems. Um, so it's kind of an interesting story. I don't know what length you want, but I'll go back to the beginning. Um, I'm an engineer by education, and uh, we designed and built our own house here in Moncton, and we planned when we designed it to have wood heat. We put an extra flue in the chimney and provided access in the boiler room and provided space to put a wood boiler in. And um, after we'd been living in the house for a good long time, um, the price of oil got high enough we decided it was about time to, to do the wood boiler. And I did a little bit of research and discovered this really fascinating technology called wood gasification. It was a big deal in Eastern Europe. Um, not known so well uh, on this side of the water. Right. Uh, but uh, it allows really, really clean combustion, virtually no odor, no smoke, no creosote, very efficient. So I, I was immediately hooked. As an engineer, I, I kind of like things that work really, really well. Um, but it turns out that there wasn't a lot of knowledge out there about how to really make these things work well. So I installed it, and I planned to add heat storage just in case that turned out to be desirable. And, in fact, it is. In order to get these boilers to really burn it, it as clean as possible and be as efficient as possible, you need to store all the extra heat that they put out. Um, so I'm, being in Vermont, I went and found half of a milk uh, bulk tank and um, insulated it, put it under my deck, and used that for heat storage. <laughs> and I, I ran into a control problem. I now had an oil boiler for backup heat. I had a wood boiler that made heat, and I had heat storage. I had to decide somehow where heat was coming from and where it was going to and how to switch between heat sources. And doing that by hand is kind of fun the first couple of times, but it, you know, it gets old. It gets old real quick, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, I was participating in a wood heat forum at the time, trying to learn as much as I could, and um, I looked at this problem and said, well, I ought to be able to buy some control system somewhere that would automate this for me. And I looked around and I couldn't. couldn't find anything anywhere. So that sounded like a, a good challenge, so I designed to build and put together a little control system based on a little microprocessor that um, managed the whole thing and automated all of the decisions about where heat's coming from and where it's going to and you know turned on pumps and opened valves as needed. And I thought it was pretty cool, so I put together a website and shared it and made it open source, shared it with people in the Wood Heat Forum. Um, and a bunch of people all around the country, and, and Canada too as well, um, have built the thing. Um, but a bunch more people came to me and said, oh, this is really nice, but I can't build this. I just want to buy one. <laughs> so I built, I built a batch of them, and um, they all disappeared very quickly. And I built another batch, and they all disappeared really quickly. And I built another batch, and a bunch of them ended up in 
um, in hotels and other places like that doing energy management. But I had a full-time job. I was, was really busy. So I finally said, you know, this is fun. I've kind of proved the point. This is cool, but I just don't have time to do this anymore. And I kind of let it languish. Um, the system just still out there running, but I wasn't doing much. I have a friend who's a few years older than me who is one of these people who has too much energy to retire. So he came to me and said, all right, I just registered Vermont Energy Control Systems with the state. we got to make an actual business out of this. Oh, wow. So, yeah, somebody made the decision for you. <laughs> kind of twisted by uh, vigorously. Um, he, he's, a, he's an interesting guy, but um, kind of shamed me into it. So um, I you know, hunkered down and figured out how to make things a little bit more easily and clean up a few loose ends and um, eventually retired and uh, started we retired from my regular job and started doing this full time. Um, and that was about four years ago now. Um, so that's kind of the story of how Vermont Energy Control Systems came to be. Um, there's a couple of kind of founding principles that motivated me and my partner. Oh, nice. Um, what are those? Well, I'm an engineer. It drives me crazy when I see things that don't work as well as they should. Mm-hmm. And my observation is heating systems, um, air conditioning systems, almost never work very well. <laughs> it's amazing how poorly they perform, actually. So we wanted to provide tools to put in people's hands so that they can get whatever it is that they own to work more effectively. Um, it makes me crazy to drive down the valley in Vermont and see this choking haze from outdoor wood boilers. Right. And you know, not only is it obnoxious, it's wasted energy. All of that is fuel that should have burned. So we tried to figure out why are people not able to be as effective and as efficient as they should be? What are the barriers to doing it right? And a big part of our mission is to try to remove those barriers. So Mm -hmm. we have an educational mission to try to help people learn how systems work and what their options are. Um, And the educational mission is a big deal. We're trying to get these into as many schools as possible so that students can use them and start learning about this stuff early on. we also have as much information as we can put on our um, websites to help people learn what the options are. Right. We also wanted to make something affordable. Um, you know, if you can afford industrial controls, there's all kinds of great stuff out there, but the price tag starts at you know, 20000 and goes up. Um, so if you have a control problem and you can't afford that, there's not a lot of really good options out there. So we wanted something that was more cost-effective. And we wanted it to be open source. We figure if you buy it, you ought to have access to all the software that runs on it. So all of our systems come with all the source code and all the tools to compile it. So if you are a software person or know a software person, you can add your own functions, your own features. You can make it do what you want if what we thought of wasn't quite enough for you. And we have people who have done exactly that. So basically the system, it's, it's not stagnant. It's, it, it's able to grow. Yeah, and we we tried to make it as flexible as possible. Um, we realized that there's a lot of folks out there who are not programmers. Um, there's a lot of really smart electricians, plumbers, system installers, homeowners, who know what they want to do, but they're not programmers. So if you tell them, well, you got to sit down here with a compiler, um, it's not going to go very far. So we designed a web-based um, rule language that you can um, you can build rules with a mouse without typing at all. Um, so it, someone who's not a programmer can have a reasonable shot at figuring out how to make the system behave exactly the way they want it to. Mm-hmm. 
And again, there's online documentation for all of that. So again, we're trying to put tools in people's hands so that you know, they can learn what's possible and then they can have the tools to actually make it happen. Now, are you using, uh, is it like the if this, then that type statements? Um, even simpler than that. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Um, we, we discovered very quickly that uh, any programmer out there knows how to build conditionals and understands if, else, then, etc. But people who aren't programmers, yeah, that's pretty daunting right away. So our rule language is very, very simple. Um, it, it's all built with pull-down menus, so you can't type something that's not valid. Oh, great. So, again, trying to remove the barriers so that people can do, you know, can do the right thing more easily. So that's a lot of what drives us. We actually looked at um, incorporating as, um, I forget exactly what the Vermont name is, it's something like a low-profit corporation, a, a corporation that can make money, but its real purpose is something else. Oh, right, the, the certified B Corp. Yeah, um, we looked at it. We went to talk to a, our attorney and um, uh, tax people. I said, you know, it sounds good. If you're going for grants, that'll give you a lot more credibility. But from a financial legal point of view, it doesn't make much difference. So we're just a regular corporation. But, <laughs> but we're a .org, which kind of maybe uh, speaks to a little bit of that that uh, educational mission and that um, you know, the motivation to do something besides just make money. Yeah, well, the fact that you do any education at all, uh, you know, definitely puts you in a different category than most companies out there. So now tell me a little bit about some of um, your clients. We don't have to name them by name, but I know that one of the things um, that I, I saw one of your displays, which is what attracted me to look more into you and, and, and chat with you, and um, you ended up showing me another another basically display real-time of another client, because this is Vermont. We didn't talk for very long before beer came into the conversation, brought up by me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, beer really started um, with something. I, I'm a home brewer. Mm -hmm. So um, if you really want to do a home brew and do it right, you need to control the temperature during fermentation. And fermentation is uh, what they call exothermic process. It generates heat. So early in the fermentation phase, you might actually need to cool your beer a little bit. Yes. And then later on, you might need to warm it a little bit to hold it right at the desired temperature. So you know, having this general purpose controller lying around, I um, hooked up a couple temperature sensors and a, a couple relays and control a fan and a little heating uh, pad and um, called it the BFCS, the Beer Fermentation Control System. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, like all of our products, it has a little web interface, so I can pull it up on my smartphone and see how the beer is doing any time I want to check on, check on it. Um, have a very nice summer ale, just finishing up right now, as a matter of fact. Oh, but, wonderful um, timing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we have a, um, a customer here in Vermont that's on a, a little bit larger scale. Mm -hmm. um, he does uh, craft malt for microbreweries, which is, I think, a really neat business to be in. Um, and that was a, it was an interesting application for us because he is really a you know, an all-out industrial controls application, uh, all big three-phase variable frequency drives, um, RTD uh, temperature sensors, CO2 sensors. Um, his engineer talked to us and said, you know, give us a list of all the different sensors and things that uh, they had. We looked at the list. There's not a single thing on there that we had ever interfaced with before. Oh, wow. <laughs> but we designed the system to play nice with everyone. We're trying to be as not proprietary as possible. So he looks over and said, yeah, we can do this. 
And we actually sat down and um, took a couple of hours, and we had to characterize each of the different sensors they had. Um, and um, in a couple of hours, we had everything working perfectly. And he's been running, you know, making malt with it for a couple of years now. And making really good malt. I, I have to say, I've had some of the beers that have been made from the malts that he has. I, I'm a home brewer myself. I'm I'm still sort of at the beginning phases, so I'm, you know I'm using uh, you know a lot of the pre-made malts. But I I am jealous. And it sounds like this guy was a home brewer himself who started wanting to brew beer on a larger scale, and he realized that the problem was that nobody was making the malts that are needed. <laughs> Yeah, so. like I said, it's a, it's a neat business, and I have to tell you the uh, you know the Vermont is a small town story. Um, so my son um, lives in the Burlington area. He was um, having a beer at Vermont Pub and Brewery with a friend, and looking at the description of the beer up on the board that they have there, and the guy sitting next to him saw what he was doing and asked him if he liked the beer, and um, my son said, "Yeah, it's pretty good." Um, he said, um, "I think I was looking at that. The malt comes from." Um, someplace in in uh, Vermont. He says, I think my father might have had something to do with that. <laughs> and uh, the guy sitting next to him says, well, that could be what's your name. So my son told him, he says, well, yeah, well, I'm the guy that makes the malt. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Of course, it's Vermont, so you're not. Yeah. Um, everybody knows somebody. You know, it's the, the, the six degrees of separation in Vermont, it's two or three. <laughs> okay, at most, yeah. So, so that's an, that's the probably the closest thing we've come to a full blown industrial automation application. But this is kind of a general purpose tool. Mm-hmm. So um, last week um, I put one in a historic house uh, where they're trying to do humidity control in okay. a novel way that is much more energy efficient than the way it's normally done. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, <laughs> also last week I put one into a place that does food processing. Um, in particular, they do meat curing and uh, cheese curing and some other food-related things, so FDA-approved facility where we're doing temperature and humidity control for the curing process. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, um, the, the the roots of the um, business is in energy control. So we have a lot of systems around the country, and for a long time, almost half our customers are in Canada, actually. We have systems out there controlling a whole variety of different heating systems with multiple boilers um, where you're doing boiler sequencing, um, systems with heat storage, multiple building systems. Um, so there's a lot of systems. Probably 60% or so of our systems are out there doing energy management in that kind of environment. But we also um, we have systems out there that are in um, greenhouse environments. Yep. Um, so it's... At its heart, it's a general-purpose control system that also does data logging and um, monitoring. So you can build, um, and I think you saw this, a little custom dashboard so you can see what's happening in a system. So the I think the application really is limited by the imagination of our customers, which is a good deal more imagination than I have, I think. <laughs> so we're always surprised to see what people have done. Well, that's very cool. So, so what's the the, the future of uh, of Vex? I mean, I know you've got these systems now that uh, you used to have, um, you know, just be called Vesta for your your products. Now, I know I see you have, you know, you've got your classic, your Pro, your Vantage, and then you've got uh, things that are broken down differently. Well, what what are some of the cool things that you guys are working on, you know, that are around the corner, kind of? Um. Yeah, I guess right now we're we're out of the non-disclosure phase, and I can actually talk about some of them. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we're very excited um, to have leased a um, patent on a um, particular type of humidity sensor from the University of Vermont. Mm -hmm. um, um, they discovered that there isn't a good way of measuring humidity in environments where the humidity is very high. Um, there just aren't good solutions out there, and they have a technique that allows that to happen. So we will we'll be building these um, high humidity humidity sensors, um, and they fit right in with another product that we're all, <laughs> we're already developing, already ha already had on the uh, um, <clears throat> on our uh, roadmap, which is a uh, long range wireless sensor. Okay. Um, we there's a technology out there that works much better than. Um, Wi-Fi or um, uh, cell phones at going through building structure, and we've tested this. We actually tested it out at Shelburne Farms uh, through some of those buildings that have those sure. two-foot-thick bone walls. Um, so we're really interested in uh, being able to put sensors and control points in a building without having to string wires, but still get the reliability and um, the, and security that you need in you know in a <clears throat> commercial or industrial environment. So the new product family is going to be a whole suite of um, sensors and control um, control relays that can be connected either w with wires or wirelessly, and will include this humidity sensor, which has a tremendous potential in um, agricultural um, in the agricultural world. Food sure. storage, in particular, um, if you're storing root vegetables, they need to be stored at very low temperatures in extremely high humidities, and right now. People are doing it by the seat of their pants. Mm -hmm. They can't measure the humidity um, reliably. So right. we want to. Uh, we'll be the first people out there with something that allows them to do that and to control that humidity. And if you can reduce your loss in your crop storage by say ten percent, that's a there's some really big numbers there. Th yeah, that's a huge amount. Yeah, I mean any loss that you trim, um, especially you know if you're doing it at agricultural or commercial. There are obviously humidity controls that uh, you know that farmers have for for their cattle. You know when they're uh, when they're housed in the winter. Uh, you know and and being able to gauge that humidity. <laughs> you know sometimes as you're saying it, it's a bit tricky. You know low level or mid level or you know in that thirty forty percent range is really seems pretty easy. You know I have humidity controls in my house that tell me that, but gets too low, or gets too high, and and they just can't keep track. Right, and and you get above about. Um... 85 or 90 percent, and the uh, the standard sensors will fail after a while. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> that's not a good thing if you're try if you have thousands of dollars of uh, product that will be damaged if your humidity sensor fails. So, so we're, um, that'll be a brave new world for us. It's a, a huge market, and um, it, the sensor is a good product all by itself. But it also, of course, plugs into our controller if you want all the data logging and fancy control capabilities. So, so that's uh, <clears throat> that's certainly what's going to be next um, out of our development pipeline. All right. Well, Bill, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I don't want to take up too much of your time today, but um, VEX, V-E-C-S dot org, Vermont Energy Control Systems. And the um, best way to reach you is probably through the contact info on your website. Yeah, support at V-E-C-S dot org works perfectly fine. That goes to a, a cross-section of people, and you know, most likely somebody knowledgeable enough will be able to reply. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'll definitely put all the details in the description of the podcast, and uh, I'll be sure to send you a link as well when it's posted and published. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to it.
All right. And Bill, maybe we'll have to talk again in the future. This is a really interesting and uh, I'd love to uh, keep in touch with you as you grow. And, uh, you know, as you say, the, as these changes come down the pike. Well, thanks for your interest. I, uh, I enjoyed this conversation. So thanks again for Bill Kuhns for joining us from Vermont Energy Control Systems. He actually was really one of the people who also helped inspire Grado 2 starting up. Uh, spoke with him, talked his ear off, really, and got lots of information from him. Uh, more than I could share here. So definitely, if you have the opportunity, check out Vermont Energy Control Systems at vecs.org. Hopefully, we'll talk again to Bill in the near future. And coming up on some future episodes of Grado 2, we'll be talking to Thea Lewis. Uh, some people know her as Queen City Entertainment, Queen City Ghost Walk, and more recently, Queen City Tarot. Uh, she's really one of those people who, as a Renaissance woman, really can do it all. Very creative and always a great conversation with Thea. Hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. We'll also talk to Chris Jarrett from Lake Champlain Maritime Museum. He'll tell us a lot about how they're keeping some old crafts alive and teaching some new ones as well. We'll also be talking to some knife makers and a whole lot more. And if you have somebody that you think that we should talk to, definitely share it with us. Find us on Facebook at Grado 2, on Twitter, VTGrado2, or our website, grado2.com, where you can send us information. You can sign up for email so that you get any updates for our podcasts and any other conversations that we want to keep alive with you. Right now, we are listening to Breakaway, and from Watershed, this is Leadfoot. And we'll be hearing some more musicians in upcoming episodes. Got to thank the local musicians here in Vermont for sending their music to share with you here on Grado 2. The Grado 2 podcast is a production of the Real Voice Audio Production. 